You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Lord, oh, there's nothing more precious than your blood. That which takes away the sins of the world. Father, we thank you that you are above all and in all, through all. Son Jesus, we thank you that you have overcome death that we may live. Holy Spirit, we are so thankful for the ways you mother us through times of trouble. So as we enter into your word, may you give us ears to hear and eyes to see more of who you are. In all these things we pray. Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so like I said, we are wrapping up our formal teaching portion of our series, Prayer Over Troubled Waters. How does prayer guide us and support us through times of disorientation, confusion, chaos, turmoil, and turbulence, right? Uh, and we've had this, this kind of, maybe you caught it, a little acronym, LOSS, uh, to, to frame the way in which we relate to prayer, right? First, we talked about prayer as location, that prayer helps us to stop when we're lost, okay, and to admit that we need help. Secondly, from there, we move into orientation. When I'm in the woods and I've gotten lost, I need something fixed and outside of myself to point me in the right direction. Prayer helps me orient to God, who is steadfast and immutable. Nextly, I start to step out. Now that I've got my marker, I head towards safety, I head towards health, and this is what prayer allows us to do. It pulls us into communion and constant relationship with the Lord so that we can get moving. But how do I stay moving in the right direction and not end up lost again? Well, prayer also can serve as our sustenance, and that's what we're gonna be talking about today. And to talk about that, we're gonna do it through three stories, right? Story of a ghost, a cop, and a snake. And so, let's just dive on in. A ghost. So, there's this moment uh, in the scriptures, Matthew tells us, chapter 14, where uh, Jesus has been tending to the crowds and he takes his disciples and he sends them on a boat. He says, go on across the water and say, so they do that. Uh, the next morning, uh, it's early and they're, they're sitting in the boat. And as, they're, and as they're sitting there talking amongst themselves, uh, I imagine that one of them uh, saw something that seemed a little bit out of the ordinary. These are fishermen. They are used to the water. They've seen about everything that the water can hold, except for that which can walk on top of it. Uh, and so they look and they see a person walking on the water. Verse 26 is when the disciples saw him, Jesus, walking on the lake. They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. I've never felt more seen uh, by the scriptures. I also would have been very scared. Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Verse 28 says, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Uh, I just wanna make a note. You might've heard recently uh, in pop culture that there is a faction of my culture, uh, African-American culture, that posits that black people are the true like Israelites and we were replaced, the whole thing. Um, I won't get into that other than to say uh, that it is no more apparent to me that that's a ridiculous thing than the fact that Peter's trying to get out of the boat to walk towards the ghost. 
because everyone I know and where I'm from, uh, we would have went to the shore. Uh, <laughs> moving on. Uh, so Peter says, hey, tell me to come out onto the water. To which Jesus replies, come. There's a couple of things I want us to notice right here off the top. So when we talk about prayer, what we are referring to is entering conversation with God, listening and speaking. Now, this takes many forms, just as our own interpersonal communications takes on. We can sit and we can talk with one another and we can chat it up, but also maybe you have a mother like mine who could say a thousand words through a single stare, right? We read body language, there's verbal and nonverbal communication. So there's many different ways to talk, but when we're talking about prayer, we're essentially talking about the same thing. How do we converse with God, right? In whatever way we do it, whether that's on our knees with our hands folded, uh, whether that's in walking, whether that's in going for a run. If you want to know more, I just want to put a plug in here. Uh, if you want to know more about what prayer can look like, I'm going to point you to the goodway.live. It is our website that goes through these practices, and prayer is one of them. So I want you to, to experience that there is a fullness to prayer, but moving forward, we're talking about conversing with God, and here's what I find interesting as prayer relates to this passage, first and foremost. If you talk with God for any amount of time, in my experience, you will come to realize that you and God aren't the same. See, what prayer can do, prayer can reveal that God sees the world from a different vantage point. And he invites us into situations that will stretch you. Here's what I mean with that. Conversations with Jesus build intimacy. Intimacy with Jesus builds boldness. So these disciples have seen so much. They have become so intimate with Jesus that when Peter sees Jesus walking on the water, his first reaction is, I want to do that too. Call me out, he says. Jesus, would you give me the power to walk on water? To which Jesus says, come. There's a beauty to the boldness that comes with conversing with Jesus. Moving forward, the scriptures say that Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. Verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. I'm going to read that again. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Something I want to call our attention to. See, I want to remind you that Peter was a fisherman. This was a trade that probably belonged to his father and all of his close companions. Peter knew the water intimately. What I find so amazing, what captures me is in verse 30, but when he saw the wind... So the wind was blowing, but Peter didn't notice it. Why didn't Peter notice the wind before? Peter was in the boat. Peter knows boats. Peter's in control of everything in the environment of the boat. His circumstances are such that he experiences no discomfort. See, winds are no consequence when we're safely within the confines of our own control. Amen? But it's when we step out of those things that we can't control that we notice 
just how precipitous the world really is. We started to notice the wind. So is it no wonder that so many of us, we desire to stay in the boat and to keep circumstances under our control where we're the experts? And yet, when you start talking to Jesus, he starts calling you into bold things. He starts calling you out of the boat. And you would think that walking on water would be fun until you realize that you can't control the environment. And in that place, like Peter, fear can start to creep in and we can start to sink. So what happens? Peter cries out, Lord, save me. Verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? I've actually been just sitting with this passage for a few weeks now, and it was about two weeks ago uh, as I was tending to my father who was really sick and and in the midst of that place where it was kind of like chaotic and, you know, there was confusion and the winds were blowing and I could feel them, uh, I was reflecting on this. And I was asking of the Lord, why were you rebuking Peter? Of little faith? I don't understand, Lord. He got scared. He's walking on water. He has never walked on water. Like, can we give my man some credit? Like, <laughs> he knew enough that he believed in you enough that you could call him out onto the water and then he does it and the winds rightfully come and he starts to sink. And so of course, he even reaches out to you. He doesn't even try to save himself. So I don't understand, Jesus, why you treat him with disdain, seeming disdain. It was actually in that place of wrestling with that a few weeks ago uh, that the Spirit just kind of opened my eyes to something. I don't think that Jesus is rebuking Peter because of his lack of faith and that he doesn't have enough faith and he should have brought more with him outside of the boat. I think... Peter is rebuking Jesus because he's not living in the fullness of the faith that he has. You're acting on little faith, Peter. You have enough to believe that I can call you out to do things you've never thought possible. And now that you're out here, your faith having been verified, why now do you doubt? Do you think I would bring you out here to drown? Live into the fullness of your faith. When I think about times of trouble and as we pray, the question comes to me, are you conversing with God in the fullness of your faith? when you're starting to sink? Do you come with him knowing who you thought him to be, someone worth coming to? 
What does it mean? What do I mean by, by conversing with God in the fullness of your faith? Well, to that we turn to a cop. So uh, I call it a cop. The scriptures call it a centurion, but here's the picture. So uh, in Jerusalem, the, 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 the Jewish people are occupied uh, by the Roman government, right? And so Rome has installed uh, governors and officers and soldiers throughout uh, the, the region uh, to keep the peace and to uh, push forward the Pax Romana, uh, the way of the Roman Empire. And so uh, these, these centurions, they are essentially cops, right? They're, they're making sure there's no uprisings or rebellions, uh, and they're making sure that Rome gets what it deserves or what it wants, namely its taxes. And so these cops, uh, they had tremendous power. They actually had the ability to command uh, a Jewish person to carry their very armor if they wanted to go for a walk. This is why Jesus says, when a centurion asks you to carry their armor for one, you walk with them two miles, right? And so here we are in this scene. I want you to get it, this cop for, for our, our terminology. This one with all power comes to Jesus. We're picking up in Matthew 8. Jesus had entered Capernaum and a centurion, this cop came to him asking for help. Verse six, Lord, he says, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. There's two things for us to note here. First, again, you have this cop who has in this society power over Jesus. And yet when he comes to Jesus, he comes to him and calls him Lord. The word used there, kurios, it, uh, it means master. It, it's uh, in, in ancient, like Athens and in, in ancient Greek antiquity, uh, uh, a kurios is like one who was in charge over the head of a household. Like right? they were responsible for, for everything underneath. They, they were the, 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 this is their home. They are the masters of their destiny, right? They are the masters of this territory. And so this cop is coming to Jesus, and he's not only a Roman going to this, this Jewish religious teacher, but he's assuming this subordinate position. Confessing Jesus is Lord, he says, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. To which Jesus says in verse seven, shall I come and heal him? The centurion implied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I and myself am a man under authority, the soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes, and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. I find it, a couple of things fascinating about this cop. First, do you notice that he doesn't ask for anything? He just comes up to Jesus like, my servant is horribly sick. And then when Jesus asked him, okay, well, what do you want me to do about that? He still doesn't actually tell Jesus what he wants him to do. 
He just says, I mean, you're, you're Lord, you're master. You're over everything. See, this cop, he came believing in what Jesus can do and accepting whatever Jesus will do. He came knowing this is who you are. So whatever you do, I wonder in times of trouble how you're entering conversations with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I'm in trouble. Here's the plan. (laughs) This man's faith is being laid bare. He's more concerned about the person of Jesus and the power of Jesus. So what does it look like in times of trouble through our prayer to come to the Father because of who he is, not because of what we want him to do? What would happen then? What happens for this man? Verse 10, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Okay, I just want to pause it. Let me read that again. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Okay, let me tell you some of the things that Jesus has seen. Uh, let's talk about like the throne room of God surrounded by angels singing his praises. Uh, that'll do it for you. Maybe the creation of earth uh, and all of the galaxies and everything included therein. Uh, maybe like Michael Jordan game six, flu game, like... Jesus has seen some incredible things. And it says that he is amazed. Can you imagine having amazed the creator of heaven and earth? It was his faith. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Where was his faith? He comes to a God that he believes is for him. The centurion believes that Jesus is for him, but I mean that in two ways. One, he believes that Jesus is for him. Remember, this is a Roman going to this Jewish rabbi, and yet he believes that this Jewish rabbi is not just the God of the Jews. But also he believes that Jesus is for him and that Jesus will take up his cause. And he believes that Jesus will do it in whatever way is best, so he doesn't even give him instructions. He just says, this is the issue. What you gonna do? I know how this works. You're the master of everything. Verse 13 There's a passage there where Jesus basically affirms this man's faith, that he gets it. He sees me as as overall, not just for the king of the Jews. And then in 13, he says to the centurion, go, let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment. See, Jesus gives him the open-handed desires of his heart. 
See, it's not that this man came like he had found some way to not actually have a, a desire and a plan for what should happen, right? This is not the, the invitation to us is to try to get to some place where we just never think about what we want. Like that's, that's, not the, that's not the point. Clearly, this man had something that he wanted to happen because Jesus speaks to it. It'll be done as you believed, Right? So it's not about coming to Jesus without a plan. It's coming to Jesus to get on his plan. If prayer is going to sustain us during times of trouble, we have to enter prayer in search of a rescue or not a rescue. I'm coming to you because I believe all your ways are good. And however you want to bring me forward, that will be what should be. I'm not coming because I got a plan and I think you're the man to put it into work. Those are two separate things. One of which shocks the king of the universe. So how are you praying in these times of trouble? Are you able to hold your plans open-handed, willing to receive whatever this good God offers? The centurion did, and Jesus actually went along with his plan. But sometimes that doesn't happen. That's where we come to the snake. So we're going to back way up the Israelite people. Maybe you remember they were slaves under Egypt. And they, they, they finally are freed from that bondage. And so they're, they're being moved out and God is sending them, he says, to a, to a place flowing with milk and honey. A place where they will prosper and thrive and be blessed. But they've got to go through the desert to get there. And I've never walked through a desert, but I hear it's pretty difficult. And so the, the Israelites, they're, they're walking through this desert and they're, they're kind of taking this circuitous route and they're getting upset because they have a plan and this plan that they're on just doesn't make sense. So they begin to say, uh, verse 5, Numbers 21, uh, they spoke against God and Moses, Moses being their leader, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no bread. There is no water. We hate this food. I would give you zero stars on Yelp if I could. So the people are angry. Then verse 6, the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. And then... They changed their tune. So they come to Moses and say, we, we sinned against you and we spoke against the Lord and we pray that, pray that the Lord will take these snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. Verse eight, the Lord says to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived. See, unlike the cop, the people came to God 
with how they wanted their, their salvation to be handled. And so when he started giving them something that wasn't in their idea, they started to revolt and they started to slander God. This is what you give us? They're talking through the lens of their circumstances. See, the thing about sin and slander, they carry consequences. Sin and slander produce death. If we believe that God is truly the way of life, when we reject him and his ways, right? As the scriptures say, there's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. There we go. The end thereof is death. And that death takes many forms. They get themselves in a bad situation, but also the sin and the slander puts them at enmity with God. And so they started to receive the consequences of that of these poisonous snakes. But here's what I find interesting in this passage. How God decides to save them is by taking a redeemed form of the very thing that's killing them and using it to reach them. God redeems what is killing them and brings it into their good. Sounds a lot like what Paul says in Romans 8 when he says, he is working all things for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purposes. So this trouble that you're facing It's not necessarily this desire of God's heart for you, but what it does mean, there's an opportunity for him to take it, redeem it, and turn it to your ultimate good and blessing. If you will but look to him. And not the circumstances. This is why in John chapter 3, Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Jesus is trying to show his people that he has mastery over death. So trust me. This is the word of the Lord. Trust me. So as we think about prayer and any conversation with God during times of trouble, how do we go? Are we going for a rescue plan or are we going for a rescuer? And if we're going for a rescuer, are we okay with however he brings that about? About to wrap up here, but I just want to take us to James. James writes in chapter one, but if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. For the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord. So what's happening here? There's one way to read this that says, if I ask God and really have faith, it should happen. Let me tell you, as someone who's been praying for a long time for washboard abs, that is not the way to read this passage. (laughs) 
So how do we read it? Let's go back to the beginning. But if any of you lack wisdom, wisdom, any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. Well, for the Jewish readers, you know what calls to mind? Proverbs 9 and 10, which says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And by fear, we're not talking about shuddering. We're talking about awe and wonder. We don't have a real good translation in the English, but what it talks about is, is seeing God as that which is, is all-surpassing, encompassing all that I need. So if any of you need to be more convinced of who God is, James says, let him ask of God. And he will show you himself generously and without reproach. Come, put your hand on my side, Thomas. I will show you who I am. But ask who he is in faith, not doubting. Back to that boat and the ghost. There's a little addendum at the end of that story, verse 32, that I want to read you. It says, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Hmm, interesting. Back in my place of comfort, don't really notice the wind so much. Back in my place of control, yeah, this feels pretty good. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. So now, back in this place of comfort and control, it's like, God, you're good. But when you're out in the waters, it's like, yo, you let me die. <laughs> so what James is saying to us is that you have to have faith in the character and the person of God. What doesn't work is that when things are good, you're like, hey, won't he do it? I love my Lord. He's got provided for all my needs. <laughs> and then when times are bad, you're like, man, I hate God. Never hear from me. I'll never hear from God. We forget who he is. And so he's like, if you're going to be that way, I can't even show you who I am. You won't get it. I am good in times of trouble, just as I am good in times of plenty. But you've got to concern yourself with knowing who I am. This is why we have the scriptures. The scriptures do not exist to give us a container for God. The scriptures exist to reveal the character of God. So we know the Jesus whom we serve. And so because I know him, I'm fine with however he wants to get me out of this. Because he cared for me in the good, he will meet me in the bad. So I mean, the question is, do you know him? And will you trust him? Do you know him? And will you trust him? I don't know what you all are facing. Uh, but I can say from personal testimony that Jesus is good and able to save. All his ways are wonderful. Not easy. 
It's very rarely that I've taken the lazy pool into righteousness and into safety. But he has seen me through troubled waters. So here's how we're going to end our invitation for today. Uh, in this community, we are, we are founded on a set of rhythms. Uh, we call it the good way. These eight practices and how we order our lives. Uh, and there's two of them. One is uh, a life deeply rooted in scripture. So we want to be people of the scripture. Why? Because it reveals the character of God. And the other one is active participation in the family of Jesus. Why? Because this is how we experience the gospel. It's a communal gospel. So I figured we would just step into that today through this invitation. James 5, 13 through 16 says this, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So here's my invitation for you today. If it scares you, we're going to stand, and this will probably be the time for you to sneak out. Uh, but I want to challenge you to maybe give it a try and see what happens, okay? Uh, I'm actually going to ask our, our elders that are, that are in the room if, if we'll make ourselves available up here. As this pastor says, uh, that, hey, if you're sick, like, call on the elders. We'll anoint you with oil. We're going to get some oil. We're, we're going to get some oil. We're just going to meet you in some anointing power. Also, we're going to be able to be up here to hold some confession, right? So if there's something that you've been carrying and you need to just speak it to someone, these will be trusted people that you can come and speak whatever's on your heart. And you will not find judgment. Um, you will find uh, the, the pervasive love of Christ. So I want to invite you into confession. And then we're also going to pray for each other. But here's how I want to do that. So on the screen, uh, you'll see some, yeah, here we go. So we're going to pray through the scriptures. So what I've done, uh, there's just a couple of headers, a lot of things I know that people are going through. Uh, and there's some scriptures here. But here, here's what's happening with these scriptures. These aren't like um, platitude scriptures, you know, like when someone's like, oh, I'm feeling bad. And you're like, Oh, but he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Like, he's like, God's got it. This isn't that. Um, <laughs> these scriptures describe the character of God. Uh, they speak to who he is, right? And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do, is that you're just going to get with somebody, and, and you're just, just going to say, like, you're just maybe going to share maybe your name if you don't know him, and you're just going to say, hey, if there's one of these things that resonates with you, if if something that person is going through isn't up there, um, that's fine. You can just come grab me uh, or somebody. I'll help you find some scriptures that you can pray for them. And then you're going to have to probably look up the scriptures so we all got our phones. You can look it up. And here's what I would ask you to do. I would just ask that for them, you would just pray this character of God. 
right? So uh, if you're in need of provision, Psalm 21 says, the Lord is my shepherd, Jehovah Ra, uh, I shall not want. And you would just say like, Brian, I hear you. Lord, we thank you that you are a shepherd. Shall not want. That's who you are, right? Maybe it's loss. John eleven thirty five, 35, shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. I hear that you, you've experienced loss. Jesus, thank you that you cry, that you weep with us. That's all. You don't have to get fancy. Feel free to freestyle, though, if you've got your own verses. You know. <laughs> but let's just keep it in the scriptures. You got it? Does that feel good? If it feels a little scary, again, no, you know, this is just do the two, shuffle on out. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, so, elders up here, confession, prayers for healing and anointing out there. You're just meeting each other, praying through these things. If you need some verses, you know, I can Google that for you, or you can just Google, like, hair loss verses. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It's real. Um, okay, so won't you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to start moving. Uh, and we're going to pray for one another, and then in, in short order, uh, I'm going to call us to the table, and, and the band will, will, will lead us forward. Uh, for those of us who are finding ourselves in joy, then as the scriptures say, we will sing praise. Uh, but for now, Lord, we just pray this. Your mercies are new every morning. You are our shepherd and our friend. We shall not lack. Like a mother hen, you seek to gather us under your wing. Blessed be your name, Lord. Spirit of the living God, would you meet us as we minister to one another? You say that the prayer of the righteous is, is highly effective and achieves much. So come, Holy Spirit, meet us here, we pray. Amen. Okay, let's pray.